and we are back for another episode of Everyday Badass Women Leaders. We are here, per usual, to talk about what successes and failures look like in the day-to-day life of strong, badass women who also happen to be leaders. Welcome to today's show. Hey, Christy. How's it going? Hi, Aggie. It is wonderful. Always a pleasure to be here. Same, same. Who are we talking to today? We're going to be talking to Sarah Bueno. She is a speaker, teacher, therapist, and the founder of Head Heart Therapy, a thriving and respected group practice in Chicago, and is in the process of selling her share of the business to start a new adventure. We are so excited to learn about her journey of growing a business, selling a business, and having the confidence to start the entrepreneurial journey again. So let's dive in. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hi, Aggie. I'm doing all right. How are you? Good. Sarah, Christy, Christy, Sarah. Sarah, it's such a pleasure to meet you. I've been waiting for this moment. Aw, you too. I've loved Aggie so much, and she's talked about you, and obviously I've listened to your episodes that are out, so I'm very excited to meet you too. Excellent. Well, we are super excited to learn more about you. Um, Why don't you just give us a quick little background on who you are so our listeners can get an idea? Sure. So my name is Sarah Buino and I'm a psychotherapist. I've been a psychotherapist. Let's see, I graduated from grad school at the end of 2009. So I've been in that field for a while and my practice is called Head Heart Therapy. I also am an adjunct professor at Loyola University and have my own podcast, Conversations with a Wounded Healer. And I do a lot of other shit, but I can't think of all of it right now. Oh, I sing in I sing in bands from time to time too. That's my like side hustle. That's amazing. So <laughs> it makes one very tired. <laughs> yeah. talk, talk about multi, multi, multi talented. Mm, yes. Thank you. We have to break out in song. Well, we did one time break out in song in one of our meetings. Yeah. Oh, I do it all the time. Yeah. So if something comes to me, I will definitely sing it today. Don't worry. Sounds good. <laughs> I'll leave the singing to you and Aggie. Okay. Um, well, Sarah, I'm I'm curious, uh, especially in your field, uh, what what takes you from? Uh, well, I'm assuming actually I'm not going to ask that question because let me let me ask uh, the first question first. I am assuming that you practiced with other people before starting your own business. Is that correct? No. I worked in a treatment center for addiction. So private practice is kind of a whole different beast from that, that sort of realm. So I had no idea what I was doing. And I, it was funny because I, I was really unhappy at the, at the place where I was. I loved the work, but it was the management and all sorts of other stuff that made it really difficult, obviously to do what I do and was just feeling burnt out and, you know, kind of had this inkling like, oh, well, should I start a private practice? And in my head, when I had graduated, I thought, no, I need like 10 solid years of work before I'm ready to open a private practice. I just wanted to make sure I knew what the hell I was doing. 
And I talked to a friend of mine who had also worked in the treatment centers and he had he had done treatment center work for about 10 years before he opened his private practice. Shout out, Dan, I'll send this to you. And so I thought, oh, well, should I join a group? And he's like, nope, don't join a group. Do it yourself. It's super easy. And I was like, really? And he's like, the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. I make a ton of money. It's the best lifestyle. And I was like, okay, sure. That sounds great. Literally no idea what I was doing, but a bunch of the patients at the treatment center followed me into my practice, which is not normal. You know, most people have nothing. They hang their shingle and twiddle their thumbs. But I I started out with like 15 people in my caseload. So I was nearly full right from the get-go. And uh, I still worked in the treatment centers, just doing groups at a couple different places in the city. So I had a steady, steady stream of referrals. So it really was... I stumbled into it. I just like fell forward and there it was pretty easy. <laughs> Sarah, I have a question around that. So yeah. you said Dan, right? Like yeah. what would have been your trajectory if you spoke to someone else in practice versus Dan right. who was like forthright and honest with you? Yeah. I mean, I I keep honest people around me. So, you know, I, I I'm sure that there was already obviously there had to have been a part of me that knew that I could do it myself and he was just really affirming of that and you know he also knows me and so maybe that wouldn't have been his advice for everyone but because he knew who I was and my tenacity and my ability to get shit done I'm sure that's why he was like oh no just do this yourself (laughs) I love that that's amazing we need more Dan's in our lives just to push us in the right direction right that's right so uh, how has it been? You started your business, you had 15 patients, and, and what happened next? What happened next was I got so many referrals, I didn't know what to do with them. And so I like to joke that the expansion of the business was based in codependency because I didn't, I didn't want to let them go because I thought I needed to take care of these people that were coming to me. And my my friend John, who has now been my employee for many years, had reached out and said, oh, I'm thinking of starting a private practice. What do you think? And I was like, just join me. It'll be super easy. And he did. And it was when it was just me and him. It was the easiest thing in the world. And, you know, it's funny. I, I always tell people it's very, very easy to start a group practice. It's very, very hard to maintain it and maintain it well. And so I got caught up like most clinicians do in thinking, oh, yeah, I'll just hire more people and then I'll have this passive income. And as you well know, as small business owners, there's nothing passive about managing people. And John ruined me. I say this all the time because he was such a good I didn't have to do anything. I just told him we're using the software. This is how you do the stuff. And he'd be like, "Okay, cool. And he'd do it and it would be amazing and everything's fine. John is an anomaly. (laughs) Most people need more training, more handholding, more supervision. And so, you know, of, and of course, the more people you hire, the more hands that you have to hold. And, and I mean, we can also talk about my big misstep in, uh, in it's almost, well, it, it, it was a partnership. It wasn't a legal partnership, but starting yet another business on top of my other business, thinking that, um, this person who was my friend was going to deliver the things that he said he was and he didn't. And I lost $50,000 that year. I lost my health. I had a lot of health problems that year. I ended up feeling suicidal because I had gotten into something that I felt like I couldn't get out of. 
And I lost a lot of relationships because I wasn't able to be the boss that I wanted to be for the people that I had hired because my staff went from five to 12 in a very short amount of time. And because my business partner didn't provide the infrastructure that I was promised, it was all me. And I, I mean, I, I just, yeah, I was completely disconnected from myself and hurt a lot of those people that worked for me at that time. And I have, I still have major regrets about that, but man, did that teach me a lot about business. <laughs> and partnerships, right? Yeah. 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 We've, we've had, Christy and I have had many a discussions about uh, business partners and how they can uh, very quickly influence failure in yeah. a business. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I was really afraid I was going to have to shut the doors because the money was gone. But luckily I did make some good hiring decisions after that. And we were able to, to come back, back on top. How long ago was that? That was the end of 2017 is when I officially ended that relationship. So not very, uh, not very long ago. Yeah. I mean, it's all happened in a really short period of time. Yeah. I mean, it's only been what the business was started technically the end of 2013, beginning of 2014. I always just say January 2014. Uh, and what is this? This is the eighth year now, something like that. And my parents died in 2014, which is a whole other, oh. I think, podcast. So yes. yeah, I was building a business and grieving and all the things in that year. Well, first of all, you failed fast. So that's yeah. a beautiful thing, right? Yes. And mm -hmm. in those lessons that we learn, it allows you to move that much faster. And the thing that I, I really love about that is even through all of the emotions and feelings that you had, you still persevered. Like, what was it in you that made you be like, yes, this might be a bad situation, but I believe I can keep moving forward? Oh, that's a really good question because I want to say that what, what I tell myself is that I don't have a choice. And when I say that, it's not a like some people would be like, oh, there's there's no agency in that. Like you're just being whipped around by life. But I think this is just kind of the engine inside of me that has always moved forward. I, I, I just I'm not a person who freezes and collapses unless I'm literally at the brink of disaster. So it's there's a resilience within me. Thanks, childhood trauma, I guess. <laughs> And, and, and Enneagram three, because yeah. that plays a big role in there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Sarah, Sarah and I are always joking, uh, because, uh, her business partner who is taking over the business is an Enneagram one and Sarah and I are both threes. So we do yep. the battle of the threes every single time we have a, yep. a meeting. Yep. <laughs> But yeah, that, that three is definitely bringing you perseverance and, and resilience because, and tell me if I'm wrong or if you feel the same way, Sarah, but I feel like when you knock on the door of failure, you're like, oh, hell no, not to me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to surmount this. I'm going to pass it and I'm going to be successful on the other end, or at least hope to be successful on the other end and then put everything in play to move forward and try not to um, stay in the past and, and uh, let us influence that. Well, even a, I think a more nuanced way that it shows up in me it, and it's very three is I didn't feel like I failed, but I was worried that everybody else thought I failed. Mm. That's really what it was because I was yeah. I knew 
I, I, I was manipulated. I knew that I didn't have a chance because of what I, the, the naivete that I brought to this partnership, I was trusting this person to take care of me and they didn't, they failed Mm -hmm. and they hurt me and they manipulated me. And I knew that wasn't my fault. So I just didn't want everybody else to think, oh, she's an idiot. You know, she should have known. She should have, you know, X, Y, Z. And luckily there have been enough people who have failed more tremendously than I have in our industry. <laughs> so, no, no, I, most people I don't think even remember that I had had that venture. Um, I, I don't think the expression you just said, I'm an idiot, I'm an idiot I should have known, applies to anyone in business yeah. because there are so many ways that you can fail in business mm-hmm. or you can succeed in business despite of yourself, right? Because mm-hmm. you're there at the right place at the right time and you just With the right product off. and the right people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. Uh, or you may have the best idea in the world and people are not ready for it and you just smack on your face. So. Yep. Um, let's talk about, so I'm assuming your experience, I'm doing a lot of assumption today. Uh, (laughs) but let's say your experience has probably influenced you to talk about, uh, that running a business that is based in those anti-capitalist, anti-racist, anti a lot of other things that corporate America is usually seen for that you are running your business, kind of on the, on the, at a 180 from that to tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. Well, first I'd like to say in terms of anti-racism, anti-capitalism, anti-oppression, anti-patriarchy, like I am not the most educated human in that area. So I want to say that everything, all the choices that we make in the business, it's all a learning process. So I don't want anyone to think like I have the perfect model and everything is great and wonderful all the time. Um, The thing that showed up for me, so a a good friend of mine, Sarah Suzuki, she's also a one. I do so great with ones. Ones and threes are BFFs. Um, She and I, at some, I don't even remember the series of events, but I was just like, we should be supporting people doing anti-racism trainings. And she said, before I enter into that with you, I need you to come to this particular training with me. It's an organization called Crossroads. It's two and a half days long. It's all about anti-racism, teaching the fundamentals, the basics. She said, I need you to come to this with me because these are the things that I need you to know before we can enter into this together. And I was like, duh, of course, happy to do it. And obviously there were so many things in that training that blew my mind. But one thing that was really interesting and Sarah and I talked about because Sarah being a one very rule follower, very, you know, oriented and hierarchy and whatnot, as we were looking at some of the material that they provided us, she had recognized, oh, my God, I have built a business on white supremacy. And I realized, oh, naturally, I have built a business that's not these things and not not again, not that it was perfect, but, you know, just in terms of we, you know, we didn't have a hierarchy system. Um, you know, I'm not very rigid. Like we've had to put structure in place because I am much more flexible and and and, you know, trying to be more democratic and listen to the voices of the staff. That was just something that came naturally to me. And so once I saw that, I was like, oh, well, you know, it's so much easier than for me to continue to build on this. And mm-hmm. Our entire team in, I think this must have been 
maybe it was 2020. I don't, I, years, who knows what time is, right? But at some point I, I had my team do a training called Decolonizing Therapy for Black Folks by Shauna Marie Brown. What, what? She's fantastic. And, you know, so as a team, we had the same language around some of these things. She's got a framework that we were trying to apply to our work. And, you know, also I shifted my social media. I'm much more politically voiced on social media than I ever thought a therapist, quote unquote, should be because I have a platform now and people do listen to what I have to say and they don't have to agree with it. It's fine. And frankly, I'm not always right. Like today I just posted something about, I'm, I totally had misperceptions about evidence-based practice and have been saying the wrong things for many, many years now. Um, so I'm certainly not perfect, but my hope is that I mean, I, I want to live in an equitable world where we can all have a living wage. I my, my fantasy is healthy workplaces. And in order to have healthy workplaces, they have to be more inclusive. They have to be more flexible. They have to be more focused on the health and wellness of the employees. And that's that's what I try to do. And, you know, right now it's fucking hard because no one's happy. <laughs> And what I was thinking last night is like, because I, I think the thing that's been so painful for me over these last eight years is the energy that I that I, I use trying to hold my employees, my staff and want them to be happy. Like I wanted to create a healthy environment that I didn't have as a child in my family. And I don't have a large family now. It's just me, my husband and my pup Batman. So this was kind of the extension of, of that, the realization of that dream. And I'm realizing now it's not my job to make them happy. All I can do is try as best I can to set up systems that are healthy invite dialogue, you know, assume that there will be challenges and people are either going to rise to the occasion and they're going to join with me or they're not going to get it. And then it's not going to work. And because of everything that's going on in the world right now, obviously I don't have control over what's going on outside, but that's, that's, that's where I am with all of that. That's, that is so wonderful. Like the sense that it's almost like you had to come full circle. Like I want to be everything to my people yeah. and then recognizing releasing that sense of ownership for someone else's well-being yeah. is not just a practice in business, but it's a practice in life, right? Mm -hmm. That if we all embrace that, we're going to be happier people. And when we're happier, we not only attract those um, that are in that similar vibration or state of mind um, as us, and then you can start creating this organization that everybody believes in the same things. And yeah. it's not easy. Because sometimes we have a demand that we have to meet from a business perspective, and maybe we just recruit out of demand and not yeah. really focused on our values and morals and things of that sort. And that can really change yeah. an environment. Well, you know, the, the, the sticking point that keeps coming up, and I mean, gosh, Aggie, we've like banged our heads against the wall with this in our own meetings, but... If 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 I were able to not have any sort of minimums for our therapists, that would be my wish, right? To just say, see as many clients as you want, and that would be amazing. And unfortunately, we've got overhead now because we have some staff on salary. We've got benefits and all these sorts of things. And we just had somebody recently say, because 
you know, we've had a lot of staffing changes and someone just recently said, you just want me to see more clients because you're, you're hurting financially and you're trying to push me. And we're like, no, we're just asking you to do the minimum. And it, it's, it's hard when I know that they will never understand the pressure. They will never understand what it takes to run a business. I get it. And it's painful. It's painful, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's a reason why they will probably never go and run a business. And the right. same challenges they're facing within your organization, they're going to go and experience it probably tenfold wherever they yeah. go next. So, I know. you know, again, that piece of letting go, it's not your mm-hmm. responsibility, is absolutely key. Um, I want to shift, you know, Aggie had mentioned that you and your business kind of identify as a queer oriented business. What exactly does that mean? I mean, I'm bisexual, which is kind of the, you know, I, I pass as straight and everyone assumes I'm straight. Even though if you look at me, you have to know, like, wait, she can't be straight, straight, right? There's something going on with her. (laughs) I've heard, I've had lesbians tell me I'm very confusing. Um, So whatever, but, uh, I, I've always felt just outside of the norm, no matter what it is. So, you know, and I think mainstream therapy is very white, Mm -hmm. very normal, quote unquote, like whatever somebody pictures as normal. That's I think what most therapists look like and, and act like and feel like they have to be. And that's just never been me. And so when I started the business, I wanted, I wanted it to be unique therapy for unique people. And a lot of people who consider themselves unique happen to be queer, you know? And when I started the business eight years ago, my in my mind cuz i you know i have a lot of gay friends and that's just a, people that i feel really comfortable with i assumed it would be a lot of a gay folks that come in and it's so interesting how even in the last 8 years how much gender has changed right mm-hmm. we we weren't really talking about non-binary folks and and gender queer and that sort of stuff 8 years ago even though these people existed but now now they're coming more forward and especially in Chicago it's just been really cool to see the amount of trans clients non-binary clients and and people who consider themselves different in whatever way feel like they have a safe space at our practice because we really do want to welcome those sorts of folks and and also people of color you know we've got several therapists of color on staff because we want, we want, I mean, I know we can't be everything for everybody, but we do want to create a space where anybody who walks in the door will feel like I can be my weird self here. And not only will it be okay, it'll be celebrated and appreciated. That is fantastic. And I think because like you just said, in the last eight years, a lot of this awareness didn't even exist. And Mm -hmm. so I can only imagine, and I can't say that I would be able to fully identify, but I can only imagine the pains, the struggles, the the turmoil that your clients go through in just I, identifying themselves as who they are and how do I yeah. show up in the world and how do I feel accepted? Yeah. Um, I think that's massive. And I love your piece about like, when you think of therapists, they all fit this certain profile and they really do. So yeah. it's incredible to know like, that there's a resource out there for anyone who needs to feel supported in their mm-hmm. their life journey that they're on. I think that's absolutely very, very cool. 
I think if I can just add yeah. a little bit to that, one Please. of the things that I think is is very cool about the the I guess the zeitgeist of the therapy field embracing anti-racism is that it that means that we have to also embrace difference and so i'm seeing a lot more normalization of quote unquote weirdness or you know quirkiness there's a lot of like witchy therapists that are coming out right now there's so much diversity that's well beyond race that's coming out of this new movement of saying that we can't separate politics and therapy anymore it's so mm -hmm. exciting so exciting. Yesterday when we were talking about you, uh, she was checking out your profile. And one of the things she said is like, man, that's my people. Oh, good. Uh, yes. And so, and so I know that uh, uh, even when, when you talked about the, the witchy uh, psychologist mm -hmm. or the mysticism, yeah. uh, you know, this is like something that when you are open to believing in something bigger mm -hmm. for somebody who is not necessarily weird, but is open to other possibilities and mm -hmm. kind of wants to get away from uh, the bullshit that's happening in the world. It, those are, are avenues that can definitely help someone get past whatever it is that they're going through because it meets them on a completely different level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I truly can't think of anything more like anti-oppressive and anti-patriarchal than witchcraft, you know, right. the, the history of witchcraft. And, you know, we, we have plenty of therapists who consider themselves witchy. Like we've got crystals all over the office and I was doing literally yesterday decided I'm going to do a spell because I'm going to attract these employees that we need in order to like have a healthy business. You do the mundane things and you can practice the witchy stuff too. It, it works, man. As someone who's always like tried to fit into this box, right? Uh, it went in the business world more so than anything. Like I've mm -hmm. always kept my quote unquote witchiness to myself. Um, it's something that's very innate, intuitive and natural to me. And it was just never safe. Right. Oh yeah. Now I'm seeing this whole paradigm shift of like, we all need to show up a hundred percent as who we are and mm -hmm. not put any filters on it. And that is like, even for someone like me, it's just such a, place of relief and acceptance. Mm. And, and now my mind is like, what are the possibilities, right? It yeah. totally shifts our perspective. So this, the fact that your business and you and your therapists hold the space for people to uncover and explore that is absolutely essential in us continuing to move forward in this new, new world that's evolving. Yeah. You should check out shop the eighth house on Instagram. Her name's Sarah. And I, her last name starts with a C. It's Italian. I can't remember it right now, but she is an anti-capitalist witch. She calls herself a science witch, and she she really does a lot to talk with small business owners. She'd actually be a really great guest for y'all, too. She's absolutely fantastic, and you would love her stuff. Very cool. Well, so you created this business, you know, eight plus years ago, uh, uh, give or take, and... I hear that you have some new things in the work and that you're looking to potentially or you are in the process of selling this business. Mm -hmm. Yep. So shout out to Raelle, who Aggie loves almost probably as much as I do. Uh, so I, it, it, I was at the point 
around the closer to the end of 2019 where I realized I can't do this alone. And my choice was either I close the business or I find somebody else who can help me run it. And I got a lot of spiritual advisement that said, you're not supposed to close it yet. And I said, okay, so I'll go search. And I just put an ad out there for an executive director and Rail just popped in my inbox and, you know, my, it's funny and she'll listen and I've told her all this stuff too, but I had another candidate. The other candidate was very, had all the clinical knowledge that I needed, like really good depth work and somatic work and Rail had the business stuff. And I thought, you know what, like I, I, cause I had wanted the business to be a certain way clinically and was kind of a snob about the therapist that I would hire. And Rail didn't have that, not for any fault of her own, but you just don't get that in community mental health. And I, and I was like, you know what, I think she has what I need. And I went with her and thank God because three months later the world shut down and like we all freaked out. And she was the rock that kept, she just kept everything together. She created the processes and procedures. She was able to run these reports that were always there. And I just never had the capacity to organize it and put it all together. And with her, now we've built a management team. And so we have several folks um, who are going to be able to take over and, and she's buying the business. You know, Aggie helped connect her with some folks to get a loan. And she's like, I'm in it because she had said to me, and I didn't remember this, but she said in our in our interview that she always wanted to own a business because, of course, I'm like, if you're going to come in, like you're going to have to stay <laughs> at least for a minute to like get shit in, in order. And she said, honestly, I want to own my own business someday. So I see myself, you know, opening my own practice. But as the time kind of just ha- has been moving forward and I've been feeling like I'm done with this part, this chapter of my life. You know, I just said to her, do you want to be my partner? And we we at first talked about maybe doing a 50-50, but, you know, my lawyer said, it's much easier if you just clean break. And I was like, okay, cool. Bye. Um, <laughs> so now I'm just waiting for all that to happen. And I mean, she's, we, we went out for dinner last night and I just enjoy her so much on all the levels. Like I have never, I've never had a better work partner than her. We just get along so well and see a lot of things the same way. And so she has all the things that I, that, that I have in terms of like moving the business forward, but she's a totally different person than I am. And she's a black woman, right? So, you know, I know that there are things that she's going to do. The business is going to change and grow. Head heart will no longer be associated with me, which is fine, I think it's great. I cannot wait to see what she does because I think she has more, she's going to have more of a singular focus. I kind of spread myself too thin by teaching and presenting and podcasting and all the shit. She's going to have the singular focus. And I think she's going to, I think she's going to elevate the business in a way that I never could. So I know how much, I know how much Rael loves love fests for her. So, um, we love but, you. You'll be listening to this podcast <laughs> and 
She'll be feeling uncomfortable I know. By, by how highly we speak of her. But I have to say this because Raelle is probably one of the funniest uh, uh, people I have met. She, there is right? not a single time that Sarah Raelle and I have met that we haven't had some kind of a laugh- laughing spell because of something that Raelle has, has said, mm-hmm. uh, either about just situationally or about her dog uh that seems to be coming up a lot in mm-hmm. our in our session he always has to pee uh, yeah or other things um <laughs> but uh sarah you and rael are are fundamentally different people mm-hmm. um and, and you approach things in a very different manner mm-hmm. uh, you are um uh, let me see if I can if I can qualify, but you you're you approach things from a more heartfelt, emotional uh, place, mm-hmm. whereas Rael is a little bit more black and white yep. in her in her approach. Uh, so and and I know that when an owner uh, or when a human starts a business, that business takes on a lot of that person's. Mm-hmm. Personality, uh, through leadership, through um, you know viewpoints, through politics, whatever it may be. So, let's talk about legacy. Mm-hmm. What do you think that business is going to be once you're not in it on a day to day basis? Well, with the management team, all the different people in place. When we had a management retreat at the end of this last year, I said. Rael is the head, Joanna, who's our clinical director now, is the heart, and Benji is the hands and the feet. He's the operations director. And so with the three of them, and then we just hired another clinical manager who will be starting in the next couple months, I, you know, it's it sounds a little egotistical to be like, well, they all, like, are going to carry on my legacy, like, <laughs> the three of them. But it it feels that way because... Rael has all of the no nonsense, like tenacity to get shit done-ness that you need in that role. Joanna has all of the heart to carry on what I have done from a clinical standpoint, I think, to to create with the staff, you know, and then Benji in there, you know, hopefully getting all the shit done for for, for everyone. You know, I I don't I don't know where it's gonna go. And Rael doesn't know where it's gonna go. And I I think I think she's excited with the, the surprise, you know, just the curiosity of of what can be created. And, you know, I just it's going to be a whole it's going to be a whole new business that is going to be unrecognizable to what I started. And that's great. Frankly, I'm excited. It doesn't feel like mine anymore, you know, yeah. and even today. Yeah, because there have been some things that have happened recently where. I realize because of how I've been backing myself out, I'm no longer connected to the staff in the way that I was before. And so I can't feel what they need. I used to be able to feel that and I can't right now. And and it's also the pandemic and where we are in the craziness of the world. But I'm, yeah, I I feel like it's my senior year. I'm taking my last class because I've got to show up. But also, I don't know if I'm going to do a very good job on that final paper. Like, I'm just going to do my best and hopefully it'll be okay. I mean, and I know it will. I know it will. This is, it's just a hard period right now in the transition. I didn't realize until this week that I was being impacted yet. 
I thought like, oh, and I know like it'll get real when she's like, okay, I've got the money. Here it is. And then I'm just going to cry for I don't know how long. Um, yeah, I could even cry right now. Like it's, uh, yeah, I didn't, uh, it wasn't until this week that I'm like, oh yeah, you've been doing this for almost a decade and now you're going to do something completely new. And it's scary to know that I've, I've built something. It was really successful and really well regarded and I'm leaving that, you know, to do something hopefully completely different, but, uh, just as meaningful. Here is a, here is a room full of empaths. Let me catch my breath for that. Um, Cause there's so many nuggets of beauty and power and inspiration in what you shared that I don't know that um, as someone who has gone and uh, bought failing businesses and took them over and had to be the person that takes the keys from that person mm-hmm. that thought that they were building up their legacy. Yeah. None of them had as much of a, well, this is what's best for the business and this vessel that I created. Like mm-hmm. I have grown past it, but I honor the fact that I created this and I brought the best people in. And even if it changes and even if it morphs, I am so excited and grateful for that. Where I was always on the other end of, they were like, I couldn't make the business actually successful. So uh, good luck, right? And then three to six months later, they'd drive by and see that the place was just pumping and had all the people in there. And they're like, they hated it, right? Of course. So to experience and to hear from me, an owner that's giving up something that they built from the ground up and having this gratitude and space of just like, it's ready to move on. You need to sit with that and honor that in yourself because um, not many people come from that perspective. So congratulations. And, and you know what? You already built one thing amazing. So I am really excited. Tell us what's next. <laughs> yeah, well, Aggie helped me come up with the name because I, I knew I needed to keep the brand on some level because the brand has been really successful and people do think of me when they think of Head Heart Therapy. So we decided the new venture is Head Heart Business Therapy. And what my my fantasy is, is that I'll be able to go into treatment centers and group practices and work with the management teams to create healthy work environments. Uh, there's a lot, there's a lot of disorganization and dysfunction that that happens because all of us in the mental health field go into it because of our own trauma and mental health histories and addiction histories and we you know we bring that to the workplace obviously and there are a lot of sick systems out there that I would really love to help and again even though my workplace isn't perfect I think I think we've created a model that is really welcoming and as healthy as can be when you have multiple personalities, you know, within an organization and and a bunch of different competing needs. But that's, that's really what I want to do. And, and I'm definitely doing some, you know, general consulting with practice owners about, you know, building their business in a way that's sustainable. And I think my, my story of the, the ways that I've been knocked down and, you know, became suicidal over not knowing how to run the business. I want to help people not get to that space. I want to help them avoid a lot of the mistakes and pitfalls that I made. 
you are taking on quite a beast because, um, you know, Christy and I do a lot of business therapy with our clients too. You do. Uh, because it's part, it's part of the, it's part of the service. Um, mm-hmm. and, and by service, I don't mean the product that we put out, but it's part of, we are servants to our clients. Uh, Which not we, all consultants think. So that's why you're different. Well, that, and, and it's possibly true. Um, I think that, that consultants, advisors, coaches should be servants to their clients because we are um, accompanying them on their journeys as mm-hmm. entrepreneurs, as creators, as leaders, et cetera, et cetera. And we are here to leverage their power and grow their power yeah. uh, um, and, and grow their ability to, to, uh, create that work culture that you've talked about uh, mm-hmm. earlier that, you know, that healthy uh, workplace. It would be great if all leaders and company owners felt that way because mm-hmm. we wouldn't be talking about, uh, you know, uh, well, actually, we probably would be obsolete <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if, if everybody got the formula right. Um, being a therapist or a business therapy therapist to other therapists i'm curious about about um you know what your experience has been so far and what's your vision for for head heart business therapy mm-hmm. like what do you want to keep it i'm assuming you want to keep it solo yeah. and not build <laughs> i talked with someone yesterday she's like you're good this is going to be big and i was like but i'm not going to have any employees she's like i don't know i'm like well i've told people literally to murder me if i hire another employee so i will just be dead um <laughs> i so let's see i mean i the the addiction industry is really small and i have a lot of friends who trust me and know me from, you know, my work in head heart therapy. And so my plan is just to reach out to them and say, Hey, this is what I'm doing. Do you know anybody who needs these services? And I, you know, even though of course there's the trepidation of, you know, letting go of one successful thing before you build something else, I I am pretty confident that because people know who I am already, I'll, I'll be able to get some, some folks. And, and I already have, I've got four clients right now that I've, I've been working with. And some of them are more traditional, like, you know, just help with the policies and procedures sort of stuff. But um, I've gotten to do some really great work with, uh, you know, one team where, you know, the, the, one of the managers was really struggling to connect with the owner. And, you know, I got to facilitate basically family therapy for them, which that's, that's the dream. That's, that's really what I want is to be able to help people communicate more effectively and more honestly, truly. Cause I, I think there's so many, and this is the feedback mostly that I get from Benji and Joanna that they've never been in a workplace before where they could really be honest and, they can come and say like, this doesn't feel good or this is, this is what happened and why I have an issue with it. And then we just talk about it. Right. Cause I'm generally, I mean, sometimes I get defensive, but generally I'm not a very defensive person. And, and so my hope is to help other business owners and people in leadership kind of embrace that, um, that honesty and authenticity, because I think that's probably at the end of the day, what makes people most happy about their jobs is if they can just like be themselves. And we need more of that. Um, again, like as we're having this conversation, I'm just seeing our whole system from politics all the way down 
is starting to dissolve and change it is. because there's enough of us out there now that have a voice and want to make that change. Yeah. And um, I just, I just did a leadership book club um, that I started with some, some, some women and we just read a book called Radical Candor. And it's mm. all about how do you communicate directly and not only receive feedback as well um, as a leader, but from your direct reports, but also make sure you're supporting them on a personal level. And I'd say like, you know, I can even say that through my own leadership style of that, I used to have employees be like, Hey, I don't love what I'm doing. I'm like, great. Let's go find what you want to do. Yeah. And let's make sure we set this place up for success upon your departure. Yeah. Yep. And I would not have a gap in between leadership and management because I allowed them to bring their whole selves to the table. I listened and I always came up with solutions for them. And when right. you look at massive, large corporations, we're not there yet. Not at <laughs> all. A lot more space to grow in that. But the more and more people like yourself and what Aggie and I do, the more that we start making ourselves present and giving people that empowerment that you can be this way and still have success and still get results. Right. Oh, I got chills. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a more feminine, I think, way to approach, right? Because I, I think we, I know Aggie is this way, but if you're focused on relationships and connection, it's so much easier to navigate all of the stuff, right? Because if I have a good relationship with an employee and I have to ask them to do something, it's going to go better than if I'm just this like dictator being like, you have to do this. Rah, 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 rah. And so I love that shift that, that seems to be like when I, when I listened to your first couple episodes, I was like, Oh, okay. There are people outside of my industry that also are on this wave. And that was I, d I didn't know that. I'm so insulated in the therapy world. So it's very, very exciting to have podcasts like this where you're having honest and like heart heartful conversations. Well, I appreciate you validating this because that's exactly what Christy and I wanted to do. There are so many podcasts yeah. out there um, that talk about uh, success stories in the past yeah. of the ascension is in the past, but nobody really talks about the, th the things that are happening real time, mm -hmm. the things that are happening right now. And some of the issues that a lot of business owners are facing, I guarantee at least three people that are going to be listening to any of our podcasts are going to be feeling like, man, I went through that yeah. or I'm going through this right now yeah. and I were, I wasn't able to solve it and these people are solving it. So maybe I have a resource. Yeah. Uh, so it's all about creating also an ecosystem because we are in this era where I think it's, it's the era of women yeah. leaders and we're finally stepping out of our comfort zones and showing our powers and saying, you know what? We're taking over this yeah. and we're going to show that leadership doesn't have to be done uh, through an iron glove yep. or doesn't have to be strict, doesn't have to be dictatorial. It can be vulnerable. It can be mm -hmm. emotional and it can be full of feelings and yep. it's okay. Absolutely. One thing I want to say there is it's not just female 
it's embracing the feminine energy. 100%. I think if we keep eliminating men out of it, we're never going to be able to change. And it's our job as women to be the leaders, show them the way, and also give them the tools Mm -hmm. to be able to find that peace within them. Because it's not about being a man or a woman. It's about embracing the feminine or masculine. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I'm a big believer in that because I had three male business partners and um, I think that they need it even more than we do because we're naturally born leaders, I feel like as, as women. Mm-hmm. So if we can find a way to bridge that gap and teach them how to embrace their feminine energy, we're mm-hmm. creating a world of utopia, honestly. Man, I hope so. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about the process of selling the business, but I think that that could be a theme for a whole other episode. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, and since since um, we're still in the midst of it, I'm not even going to go there. Um, uh, we did connect with uh, with a, a, a client of mine, Natalie Roberts, who is in mergers and acquisitions, and she educated us mm. uh, about the M and A process. That was that was really cool. Uh, but I want to ask you about your podcast. Sure. Uh, because I mean, by now, if, uh, for, for the listeners that are with us, if you haven't figured it out, Sarah is a natural, uh, <laughs> no, I've been she's, told <laughs> she's a natural entertainer. That's because she's got lots of practice. Um, so tell us about your podcast. What is it? What is it about? What do you who do you connect with? Yeah. Conversations with the wounded healer and the, the elevator pitch is, uh, you know, I have conversations with other people in healing professions about the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. And when I started the podcast in 2018, you know, it was very kind of stereotypical healing stuff. And as I have changed and grown and learned more about the political landscape, we've also adopted many conversations about anti-racism, anti-capitalism, and anti-patriarchy too. So it, I feel like we entertain on all levels, whether it's individual healing or collective healing. And I have people on the podcast who are of course, therapists and, you know, shamans and Reiki healers, but I've also had teachers and nurses and doctors. Uh, you know, I had a hairdresser on once, you know, people who it's because I I, th- I don't think it's the, the profession that's healing. I think that it's the human. Uh, and, you know, th- I always ask the questions, do you consider yourself a healer? And how do you feel about the term wounded healer? And the consensus generally is that, we all are healers and we all have the capacity for that. It's just whether you tune into it or not. And mm-hmm. it's literally one of the most fun things I get to do. I wish I could get paid for it because I would just do that. I would abandon everything else in a heartbeat if I could just be a paid podcaster full time for my podcast, not somebody else's podcast. Putting it out in the universe. <laughs> well, last time I did that, I got a, I booked a gig. So I am I am a very powerful manifester. I have found my witch powers oh. are strong. Uh, I, I so sponsors if you're listening give me a call <laughs> <laughs> love it love it 
Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah. This was, uh, this was a, a lovely conversation and um, I wish there were more of you in the world. Oh, there are though. I mean, there, there are definitely people out there. It's, and I, I love connections like this outside of our own industries where we can meet more of those folks. And I'm, I'm really excited for your podcast. I think it's going to make a huge contribution and you are going to find a, a lot more people like me out there. You keep us inspired. Um, so thank you. Thank you for doing what you do. And, you know, keep that per- perseverance and resiliency up and everything's going to work out great and super excited for your new business um, and to see how you can start transforming, transforming our leadership one business at a time. Maybe that'll be the tagline. Hey, there you go. <laughs> it's yours. It's Thank you. Yours. Thank you. It's my gift to you for Royalty you being on our podcast today. Right. Perfect. <laughs> but, um, yes. Sarah, this has been, I hate saying it, but so far, one of my most favorite podcasts we've done. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I don't hate saying it. I only hate saying it because I love all the ones we've done. Yeah. But just the the depth, the impact, the vulnerability and transparency that you brought, I hope it inspires other business leaders and owners to recognize that if we stay true to ourselves, it allows everyone else around us to show up 100% as them, as their own selves as well. And when we start embracing that, uh, we will start seeing this world continue to shift. I agree. Well, that was, it's left me upside down. Yeah, I know y'all can't see, but we definitely had some tears on this call um, and moments of pure gratitude, appreciation. And I think one thing that really stuck out to me is that more and more, everybody's recognizing how important it is that we have healthy workplaces. And I love the mission of her new business that she's starting to be able to help organizations create an environment that is inclusive, flexible, and really focuses on the wellness of employees through inviting dialogue and having honest and authentic relationships and connections in the workplace. This entire conversation could have been summarized Brené Brown style through vulnerability and honesty and how freaking hard it is to run a business with employees. I think that people don't realize that. I I think that people don't realize that sometimes you just, it's a lot. It's a lot of responsibility. And the feelings and the emotions that Sarah shared with us. Um, And I'm so excited for her and her new journey. And I'm so excited for Rayelle, for the opportunity for her to take over this business and make it her own and can't wait to see what's next. Speaking of what's next. Oh, you stole words out of my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Next, coming up. Uh, We have an incredible individual, uh, my friend whom I've known for, I think, 16 years. Sherry Norris, the fearless leader of Alayla. Uh, it's a unique boutique for today's warrior woman. 
Uh, and I am using the word warrior, and you'll understand why when you listen to the show. But Cherry is just, she's so inspirational, and, and, and she knows, she's probably the most, I won't say happy, but positive person that I know. She said that she was happy and she said that she was nice and it was going against, you know, her strong leadership. But I think it makes her a really good leader because she truly cares. So uh, I can't wait to listen to her and laugh with her and and get some little nuggets of niceness throughout our next episode. Amazing. Once again, always looking forward to our next opportunity 